Welcome to Championship Culture. Got a fantastic day, uh, guest tonight. John Torrey is a football coach. He is a wrestling coach. He is the co-host of the Culture Classroom podcast, and he is an author. And uh, Coach, I sure appreciate you uh, joining us and, and being a part of this. Just, just a little uh, uh, conversation before. I think I picked up three points from you even before we started uh, uh, videoing today. So I appreciate you being here. Coaches in Iowa and uh I, I listened to your podcast religiously and i and it's exciting to have you on here to to share your ideas with us buddy well coach salas the pleasure is all mine i really appreciate you uh gaining things out of what i have to say i know my wife tells me to shut up so uh some people close to me are really tired to hear me speak so it's nice and refreshing to be somewhere else that's good i i, I always uh my wife always, I, I do driver's ed also, and my, my wife's constantly trying to coach me up while I'm driving, and I, I have to explain to her, but I'm a professional at this, so I know how it is sometimes. The wife doesn't appreciate your expertise in some areas. Uh, let's start it out. Uh, can you give us a one-minute elevator introduction? Yeah, so uh, I just finished my 14th year as a teacher here in Iowa. Of course, my parents are teachers, and I went to college to not be a teacher, and look where I am now. Um, and then I also coach football and wrestling. Uh, football is my passion. And I always tell kids that I coach wrestling because you can't coach football in the winter. So it's the most football-like sport outside of football season. Um, and then outside of that, you know, it's, it's about building relationships with kids, working on writing, uh, which I try to do every day. You can't call yourself a writer if you don't do every day. And then uh, the podcast as well, just meeting and connecting with other leaders and like-minded people. That is a big part of what I do on a daily basis. Well, uh, just a, a just a side note. I I always uh, we each year it seems like and we don't have wrestling at the school I'm at now, but but in the past we've always had uh, the schools I've been at had wrestling, and I always felt like each each winter we would send uh, little uh, week. Uh, not physical JV players to the wrestling coach and he would send us back football players in the spring. So, you know, there's just something magical about getting kids to wrestle the, uh, the confidence and the, uh, and the athleticism and the, just the straight toughness that it builds. So I'm always a fan of, uh, of the wrestling program and the wrestling coaches. Uh, can you give us uh, question number two is, can you give us your definition or, or uh, how you define culture in your program? Yeah, it's a great question. I think if you listen to any podcast or read any book, I know PJ Fleck is a big culture builder. He's got another book coming out with John Gordon here very soon. You turn on ESPN, you're going to hear the word culture 85 times. Um, and it's something we throw around, but it's not something that we should take lightly. And so we have a really simple definition of, of it here in Denison. Uh, and our culture is how we act, how we communicate, and how we treat each other. And so really culture is all those things rolled together. And here's the beauty of culture. If you don't have a culture defined, you have a culture in your organization. And so in Swing Your Sword, Mike Leach writes that you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And here in Denison, we want to be coaching the culture. That's, that's awesome. And that's one of the best definitions I've ever heard of it. That, that uh, simplifies it and brings it right down to the, to the, to the roots. Uh, and I'm, I'm on your back on, uh, you know, you're either, uh, you're either building it or someone else is building it for you, but there's going to be a culture in your program. 
question number three, and this is the one I always get excited about this because this is where I get to steal people's good ideas. Can you share with us your three best things you do to build culture in your program? Absolutely. When you sent me this uh, DM, I really got excited because this truly fits into what we do and what I want to be as a leader. Um, in my book, More Than the Game, I write about the process of the ship. And this is something I came up with when I got my master's degree a few years ago. And it's a three-part process to building a championship culture. The first part is relationship. The second part is leadership. And then the final part of that is championship. And it has to go in that order. You have to build the relationship. Then once you have the relationship, you can start to build leadership. And if you get relationship and leadership working together, that's when the magic happens, right? That's when we catch the championship. And so to get your question of three things we do in our program that fit inside of each of those pieces, uh, I teach middle school. Uh, so I've, I've taught seventh grade, I've taught sixth grade, I've taught eighth grade, I'm currently teaching eighth grade. And the relationship starts in my classroom. So it has to start in the middle school. Kids are young, they're impressionable. If you can even start earlier than that, they're familiar with you as a face and that relationship, you can make a lot of deposits before you even coach them uh, one way or another, or you have to do any kind of correction. You can have a lot of deposits in an emotional bank account. So if you think about a relationship in terms of a bank account, you know, you got to make small deposits. Hopefully every single day, you want to build that balance up because you know there's going to be times where you're going to have to zero it out or you're going to have to make withdrawals. And if you get into the negative, that relationship's never coming back. So uh, one of the reasons that I teach eighth grade is because I think middle school kids, there's a huge need for that. It's often neglected. A lot of times we see high school coaches, they teach high school classes. They don't want anything to do with their younger or their feeder programs. And I think people are missing a real opportunity for that. So I tell people it's a five or six year commitment that they're making when they're in middle school. They're gonna start, they're gonna try a sport for the first time, football or wrestling, That's those are the sports I coach. And then I'm gonna be with, be with them for the next five or six years. I think that's powerful uh, because then when you build that kind of relationship, it lasts for the next five or six decades. So that's the first thing that we do is I highly encourage you to have a presence in the middle school. Those kids are young, neglected and impressionable. The second thing that we do is leadership. So look at the process of the ship again. We do a five-week leadership training, mental training academy every spring. And our football program is based on five core values. So it starts with accountability. And then we have toughness because you can't play football or wrestle if you don't have any kind of toughness. Then we're really unique here in Iowa. We are a town of under 10,000 in population. We're 75% Hispanic and we're 75% free and reduced lunch. So we have very few... Uh, resources here in town. We don't have a gym that's open to the public like a YMCA. We don't have any kind of uh, community support or resources that kids can go to. So the school is it. Whatever we do as a program, it's all done through the school facilities. And we have amazing facilities for our school, but everything that they're getting is here. So when you start in kindergarten or whenever you get here, because we have a lot of first generation Americans coming through our school doors, uh, kids that their parents don't understand what American sports are like kids that maybe are on the fence or I'm the only one a lot of days telling kids that they should go out or that they should stay out. Um, and the beauty of that in a small town is that my kindergartner right now is a monarch and she'll be a monarch all the way till she graduates. And then even beyond that, because we use the, the phrase of the old Raiders of once a monarch, always a monarch. 
And uh, that was our superintendent's message this morning as we honored our retirees. So our leadership academy is five weeks long. It's built on being uncommon. That's the third of our core values. And then commitment, because that's the thing that we're missing in society today, in my opinion. We don't have a commitment to our spouse. We don't have a commitment to our job. We don't have a commitment to the communities or the people that we're around or serve. And then finally, Friday night is all about grit. If we're going to be successful on Friday, we got to have grit. So those five values, and we sum it up with a hashtag of ATUCG, those make us who we are here in Denison. They encapsulate everything we're trying to do. And to break that down for our kids, we started this probably six or seven years ago, where we meet one day a week during the spring for five consecutive weeks. We've gone the gamut on this. We uh, used to make it mandatory to everybody. We've done it where only seniors have been allowed to attend. We've done it where you're going to commit to five weeks. And if you don't do it, then you're not going to come to the next week. And then you owe us and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and what we found works the best is an open door policy. So join us one week. Don't come the next week. Come to all five. That's great. But uh, there's no commitment that goes into our leadership training. And really, it's our mental skills training. We kind of roll those two things together. So when we talk about leadership, we're talking about mental toughness, building that kind of toughness. You know, the weight room is going to build physical toughness, uh, but the mental toughness comes from our leadership training and our academy. And so we just break it down into a, a 15 to 30 minute lesson, one day a week in the spring, five weeks. We explicitly teach what it means to be accountable, for example. We usually have some kind of sports analogy or video that goes with it. And everything that we do is organic. So we'll put the kids in groups. We'll ask them what accountability looks like to them on a daily basis. We'll ask them what it means to be uncommon. You know, what's the common response to this situation? Now, how can we be uncommon? And the kids really come up with great things. And uh, any of your listeners that follow my social media, I try to pump that stuff out there as much as I can. Um, and I'm willing to share everything that we have. So I am a sharer. Uh, there's nothing that I have that's that. I can't do better, you know, because that's the thing. When you immerse yourself into it, you get better and better and better. I'm a better coach now than I was two years ago. I'm a better coach than I was in my fifth year of coaching. So I'm willing to share everything I have because I know it's only going to get better as I collaborate with others. Uh, that is a culture piece that's really huge for us because you have to be intentional with culture. And it goes back to you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. We want to be coaching it. So that's the leadership piece. And then the newest piece to our culture is something I created about three or four years ago, and it goes with the championship piece. So I don't know if any of your readers out there, if you're a big reader or not, but Joe Ehrman has a book called Inside Out Coaching, and I had to read it as part of my master's, and it's phenomenal. And in the book, he talks about the 20-year window. So when they ask him what his team's going to be like, he always gives the standard response of, I'll let you know in 20 years. And through that window, that's when guys graduate. That's when they become husbands and fathers. And that's when they really start to give back or truly be the people. That's a benefit to teaching, in my opinion. We never get to see the finished product. So we tell kids all the time how they should behave. Sometimes we're the only one telling them how they should behave. But we never get to see the finished product until years later. And that's that 20-year window. So one of the things that we do as part of our culture is we create a jersey legacy. Uh, this is a Google sheet in the form of a, a Google form. And every senior that comes through our program, I send this out the last week or two of the season. And it's just a time for them to reflect and fill it out. And we ask questions like, what was the number that you wore? 
and why did you wear it? And I'm kind of a collector of knowledge. So I'm a big reader. I read between 100 and 150 books every year. And the things that I highlight in the books that I read, especially on sports biographies, is why did an athlete choose the number that they had, right? Because that's your legacy in sports is that you'll always remember what number you are. People get it tattooed on themselves. They get chains that they wear it with. Your number stays with you for a long time. Just think about your password that you have on your email or your social media. If there's a number in it, that number means something to you. It's not coincidental. Uh, so for example, I wore 27 in high school because I was a big Broncos fan and Steve Atwater was the best in the business at the time. I don't want to get into it with you 49er fans about Ronnie Lott. I'm going with Atwater. But uh, that's the Jersey legacy. So your number is either chosen for you or it becomes part of you or you chose it for whatever reason. And so at the end of your playing career, that number is what stays in the program. And I don't know what it's like around the country. I know when I was in school, we had to buy our own jerseys and we got our name on the back and we got to keep them and I still have it and my friends still have it. Today, the school pays for everything. So here in Denison, we have a, a big closet that we keep all the jerseys in and your jersey's rented. So you get it for that year. And at the end of the season, it goes back into the closet with all the other jerseys. Maybe it'll be issued to you next year. Maybe it'll go to someone else, but that's the legacy. So I started to have like a living, breathing document, this Google sheet that we do that asks, what number did you wear and why? And then what's your best memory in the jersey? Because that's the thing about the legacy is that it's your job as a player, and this is what we tell our guys, to give your jersey a story to tell. It's going to sit locked away for nine months out of the year. What story can your jersey tell all the other stories or all the other jerseys that's, that's part of you, that's unique to you, that's something that you made? It's basically like live in the moment and then create something, right? Like contribute in some way or another. So we, I ask them what's their best memory or what's their favorite story that they have that their jersey could tell. When you put it in the closet, what's it gonna tell other jerseys? And so we started to write that down. And the hope is that as we do this over decades, that we're gonna go back in the program, we're gonna get alumni's perspective, we're gonna ask them for their, to fill out the Google form as well. And then all of a sudden, number 27, for example, there's gonna be a list of player after player after player after player that has all these stories. And then the vision is, and I'm not there yet because I'm only in year three or four of this and it's still pretty new. The vision is when we hand the jersey to the next player a first time the next season, the packet of all that information and the history goes with it. So the idea is that you're going to have a chance to contribute. You get to define how you want to be remembered. And ultimately, that knowledge and experience is going to be passed on to other players. And that's where we start to see it come full circle. So that as we have multi-generations, maybe it's dads passing on information to their sons or people that are first-generation Americans saying, this is my first experience with American football. All of a sudden, you have a, a cumulative breathing document that represents your program and all the decades that it has. Absolutely fantastic. I, I've never thought of the, uh, you know, how mommy used to do a, a very similar thing with the lockers. You know, they, they, they left the, the people's names who shared that locker, but I've never heard it before on the, on the number. And, and there usually is a story on how, why you picked that number. Uh, 
we we just tonight and i'm feeling a little under the weather so i'm, I'm not bringing energy right now that i need to because that was one of the best presentations i've heard you you really got it wired but tonight before this we had our senior dinner and that's when we do our exit interview and that's one of the questions on there is your favorite memory from this season and then your favorite memory from all four years and uh and then we went around the table and had them share those memories and it changed the atmosphere in there. You know, once they started sharing stories and picking out, you know, this is what I remember from three years ago. This is what I remember from this year. It, it really, it, it, it bonded the group. You know, it was a little quiet until we started, uh, until we started talking about those memories. But I, I love that I, idea of, of putting, uh, creating a legacy with, with the numbers and, uh, and uh, your, your, whole, your whole thing, the relationship leadership championship uh, you got it wired. I, I got to tell this on you. You know, I, I'm like you. Usually when people invite me, they always want me to talk about culture. And sometimes I just want to talk to Mexes and O's. And I, I gave you the 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 option of do X and O's or culture and you pick culture. So you you really do live and breathe this because you could have you could have got in there and, and rolled up your sleeves and done some X's and O's tonight. But I can tell this is this is uh, real to you because of how much it impacts uh, kids. And also, I didn't realize I, we have a uh, we have we're forty three percent Hispanic in our it's it's our largest demographic. So uh, so uh, we we do share a commonality there that uh, you know getting getting kids out and they're they're playing football for the first time and and uh, and and how you uh, how you carry that on with their with their family. Well, now we're getting we're as a matter of fact the seniors we had tonight uh, the Hispanic kids. Um, the majority of them had a little brother coming up that was playing football. So that, then that's, you know, that's obviously, you know, that's unique in the Hispanic uh, culture. Uh, so fantastic job, man. Uh, I'm, I'm stealing all of it. No, it, it's great. And I'm a sharer. So if you want a Google form, so here's what I love about Google. We're a Google school and it costs us nothing, right? Costs a little bit of time, send out the survey. Some kids fill it out the first time. Some kids you need to send it six times. It's no different than teaching eighth grade, giving an assignment. You know, some kids get it done right away. Others, you got to remind a few times, but it costs you nothing outside of a little bit of time. And then the Google sheet works with the Google form. So it kind of fits all together. So if you don't want to reinvent the wheel, just uh, hit me up and email me or reach out to me on social media and I'll share it with you. And then you can put your own branding in it and just file, make a copy. So um, don't feel like people have to do what we do, but if you don't know where to start, that's a great way. Well, I'll, I'll in the show notes, I'll put your, uh, your Twitter account. So they'll, they'll know how to reach out to you. And I appreciate you being so, uh, so given on that. Uh, question number four, this would be a good one for you. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first got started? Yeah, this, this question really hit me different. I had to sit down and pencil out a few things. And of course, the more that I sit and scribble, then uh, the more the ideas start coming to me. I think there's two things that are really important that if I could go back 14 years to the younger version of myself, um, the first is advice that I share in my book. And it was shared with me by the first guy that hired me. Uh, the first high school head coaching job that I had, uh, the AD, he always said, he goes, you know, you coach because it's fun but you get paid because of picture day. So the advice is, is like, 
it's glorious to sit there and be the play caller, right? Or it's glorious to put together your depth chart and have a great game plan and you're excited. You get the goosebumps when the band starts coming out on the field on Friday night. And, and that's the thing. I've coached everywhere from youth to I've been to three Super Bowls and, and uh, worked in the NFL. So I've literally seen every level of football and there is nothing like Friday night lights. Guys in the NFL talk about that, right? Because they're watching their alma mater on Saturday or, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they've got a game on Thursday or, or Monday night football is a big deal. But Friday is still pretty exclusive to high school sport. And that's really unique in uh, football as a, you know, at football as a thing of its own. So I think that's really important is that we, it's easy to get goosebumps. It's easy to get jacked up for Friday night, the Friday night lights, but you get paid for picture day, right? No one wants to put together the team picture. No one wants to do the bus list. They don't want to sit around after a muddy game and do laundry. Maybe you have to treat all the uniforms, get grass stains out, that kind of thing. These days we play on turf that it's amazing. So we don't quite have that problem, but no one wants to set up the drills that you're going to run during individual time before practice begins. No one wants to fit and store the equipment and set it off for reconditioning and make sure that that's done. No one wants to work little kids camps, right? Usually that's in the middle of camp and it's hot, you're tired, they have energy, you, you want to invest your energy somewhere else. Um, and then more importantly, if you're an assistant coach like I am, your job should be to make the life of the head coach easier. However that looks, whatever you do, whatever talent you give, you're on the staff for a reason. So that should, that's your job. That's why you get paid. You know, it's not because you're the best position coach, or it's not because you're really good at X's and O's, or it's not because you're the best play caller in, in the dang state. You know, you're getting paid for all those tedious tasks that no one wants to do. And more importantly, no one sees. So I think that's a message that I would send to my younger self. Uh, the second piece of advice is this came from a coach that I currently work with, and he's, he's in an uphill battle with his health. Uh, about a month ago, he was diagnosed with, a, with brain cancer. Um, he's done emergency surgery. He's younger than I am. He's got two, two young kids at home and, and a great family man. And it's, it's, a, it's a battle that he's up against. And he's currently in uh, chemotherapy. But we coach JV together. And almost every bus ride, we talk about this. Uh, so it truly comes from Adam Burns. And I write about this in my book, too. But he always says, you're never as good as you think you are. And you're never as bad as you think you are. Now, I want you to just simmer on that for a minute because there's a lot of times. Keep in mind, in 14 years of coaching, I've coached more 0-9 seasons than anything else. So in Iowa high school football, we play nine games, a nine-game regular season. Uh, and I've been 0-9 seven different times in my career. One time I coached a freshman game, we got beat 75 to nothing. I went down, locked myself in the room, kind of put on the NFL game that was going on that Thursday night and didn't talk to anyone in my family. And uh, the point is this, though, is that you're, you're bad, but you're not like end of the world bad, right? So I think that's really important. Also, early in my career, my first couple of seasons, we made deep runs in the playoffs. And I remember naively thinking, hey, we can do this every year. And that's just youth and inexperience and not truly knowing or appreciating what we had at the time. So you're never as good as you think you are either. That's when overconfidence steps in. That's when you get upset. That's when things happen. And I just think if you can keep that mentality of, you know, we're not as bad as, we, as our score says. And I know Bill Parcells kind of had that uh, cliche of you are what your record says you are, but you're never as bad as you think you are. And you're never as good as you think you are. 
And I think that should help you uh, keep an even keel. And then it comes down to this coach, success is what you define it to be. So whatever your record is, your success can be based on something else. I love it, coach. Those, uh, those are, those are three great ones right there. Those are some of the, maybe the three best I've ever heard. Uh, you know, we, we preach to the kids, you know, uh, you know, let's watch the film, you know, the film, when you feel like you were terrible, the film, when, when you watch the film, you realize, no, we were just a few plays away here and there. We were a few techniques away here and there. And then when you feel like you did fantastic, and you watch the film, it's like, no, we weren't near as good as we thought we were. So the film, film kind of parallels that whole uh, mindset. So uh, absolutely fantastic, man. Question number five, it goes quick, especially when I got a good guest like you. you. You really got this thing wired in, man. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, question number five, uh, contact information. And I'm going to put your Twitter in, in the show notes. And then uh, anything you want to promote. And please talk about your book a little bit. Yeah, so uh, again, thank you for being a listener of the Culture Classroom podcast. You can find us for free on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Uh, John Weaver is the, uh, the coach that I do that with. And we just met over a graphic a few years ago. We decided to do a podcast. We're a couple of culture guys who love talking culture, love talking football, love talking about making a difference in, in the lives of, of other people. And so you can find our, our uh, podcast, The Culture Classroom, if you'd like to know more. And then my book is available on Amazon, and it's called More Than the Game. And really, when I got done with my master's, my master's degree is in coaching and athletic administration. And when I got done with that, I had more to say. I had more to add to, to my growth, my development. And so more than the game is really where I start to honor other people that have poured into me. And it's my way to give back. And some of the people that I honor in the book are no longer with us. And uh, it's really special for me to keep their legacy alive even if it's in uh, the, the cover of my book, but get that out of the hands of people. And again, you can find that on Amazon, um, but it's called More Than the Game. And then social media, you know, you have to have a social media presence, right? So on Twitter, I am at Mr. Tory. And I know you said it's going to be in the show notes, but Mr. is all spelled out. And then on Instagram, I am Coach John Tory. So you can find me in those two places, love to connect with people. And I want to help you build your program to be whatever you want it to be. Fantastic, buddy. You hit a home run. I appreciate you doing this. And we're going to put all that in, in the show notes so they can get to it easy. Uh, you know, your, your, uh, your podcast is great. I'm sure your book's great. I need to go get it and read it now, but you, you are fantastic, man. I, 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 very few times have I interviewed someone that had it so wired in on, on uh, what they want to get done and, and exactly how to do it. So you, you absolutely hit a home run and I appreciate you coming on and doing this, man.